views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Revolution comes with a price tag. You were slave to a flag in a country that clearly doesn't love you when they probably never have. Told you turn the other cheek. And they made it with a bad fucking protest in them cities. Told you go fight in the war. Vietnam, you died, good riddance. The man of the house rule took you from your siblings. Turned around and pump crack right up in your city. And they just turned all your leaders to martyrs. You was off in the war. Now who was guarding your daughters? It was riots in the streets. Killed Malcolm and Martin. Called the National Guard up because we ride with our guard up. And I was burning your guard. It's like in the mimic on the fly. To you. Everything that they taught you was a lie to you. See, they scared of your skin and they dying to shoot. Take the American dream and then you die to pursue. One day it'll all make sense. If it ain't about power, then it don't make sense. But none of that money matters when you live in madness. The one that you figure out that all you got is this. Peace, love, and the middle finger. Right on. Good afternoon. Welcome to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. Of course, I'm broadcasting from the behind the enemy lines known as USA Inc. Today's date is August the 20th, 2015. It is a Thursday afternoon here in North Carolina, and yes, it's hot. Oh wow. I I mean it's just it's really been a heat wave um this summer but you know fortunately over the past couple of days we've gotten some rain so that's good had a thunderstorm last night so that's good that we were able to get some relief from this heat. Um I saw a friend of mine on Facebook up there in Detroit. You know that's one of the northernmost points uh you know in the United States talking about how hot it was. So yeah, a lot of people dealing with the heat. Um, today, we are going to be joined by a conversation. We'll have a roundtable. Whoever wants to join uh, myself and new abolitionist, Mr. Paul Whaley. Uh, Mr. Whaley is like myself, former military. Uh, unlike myself, he's a former prison guard, and he has been persuaded to become a 21st century abolitionist, so I'm happy for that. Uh, we will. The conversation that we would like to have with the listeners today will center around the murder charges that have been levied against Tremaine Wilburn. Uh, in case you, you know, haven't heard of him, he is the black man who is accused of killing uh, Memphis police officer Sean Bolton. Um, I have been doing my best to keep his name in the headlines, but um just seems that I'm fighting a losing battle, but I'm going to stay positive and hope that I keep talking about this case, which I feel like is a unique case, a very important case. Many people just looking at it as the way the mainstream media want them to look at it as, you know, this is just some thug that killed a cop. And they're hiding a lot of stuff about um, Sean Bolton's background. I'm talking about the Memphis police officer uh, who was killed. He's also a former Iraqi com- combat veteran, which I was able to confirm that he was a Marine, uh, did at least one tour in Iraq. He had a combat MOS, so he was a trained killer. Uh, but there's also the question of whether or not 
Sean Bolton had PTSD. And so there's just a whole lot of questions that are not being explored by anyone, not on mainstream media, none of these legal analysts, these attorneys that they get to come in and talk about a case. You know, we've seen it time and time again where there's a black victim, but I haven't seen anything. Perhaps you all have. Have y'all been watching the cable news shows where they discuss these type of legal cases or these cases from a legal aspect? I, I have not, but. You know, I have to admit, I don't spend a whole lot of time watching it. I will, you know, just um, if a family member tells me, hey, did you see this? Come check this out. I recorded it, whatever, uh, about a particular on one of these political shows or whatnot. Then I watch it. But I don't spend a whole lot of time, you know, in front of that television. So uh, those are uh, those are a lot of things that that we should talk about. Uh Oh, something happened there. Do we got you on the line, Mr. Whaley? Yes. How you doing, Mr. Reed? Uh, I'm not going to complain too much. Give me just a second. Let me check to, to make sure that we didn't drop the conference line. Uh, no, we are still in the conference line. All right, Mr. Whaley, hang on a second for me. Been experiencing some technical difficulties at the beginning of the show. We have a new number. Let me give that out uh, for the listeners. Um, it has been posted to our network, of course, uh I got to update some of the other shows, but we've been experiencing some problems with the website. It got knocked offline. I was able to restore a 10-hour-old database now, and that's causing problems with the images. So just a whole lot of problems. Then we had to change yeah. the phone number. And so, listeners, this is the conference line number. It's 605-562-3140. That's 605-562-3140. The participant code is 269 626 that's 269 626 and of course star six and one to uh come on air you can also use the web-based flash phone and then there's the studio line 704-951-5030 now uh i brought mr whaley on to um not just talk about mr uh wilburn's case but the need to have a some kind of legal organization like we could use, for example, like the Innocence Projects, which, which you know, works on a whole lot of uh, people who are already in prison and tests their cases and fights for them in court to have any evidence retested or some a lot of times it has never undergone DNA testing. And so we hear about a lot of people getting out of prison. Well, what about a legal organization that will take on high profile cases to prevent people from even being convicted in the first place and ending up in prison on a wrongful conviction? And so there we've heard of the NAACP uh, Legal Defense Fund. I know uh, one of their lawyers um, was prevented from taking an appointment at the Justice Department because he worked on uh, Mumia's case, Mumia Abu-Jamal, the imprisoned revolutionary and journalist. And so, you know, Ted Cruz, I remember Ted Cruz uh, talking about, you know, I must oppose this man's appointment to the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice. He worked on this cop killer's case and all that so that, that's what i'm saying people want to act like because you've been accused of killing a police officer like you just automatically guilty and you should no no attorneys or no one should work on your case it's like you know it's kryptonite and certainly momia a revolutionary has worldwide support 
and I'm not trying to say Tremaine Wilburn is anywhere near Momia, but he he's a victim of circumstances. I feel like the war on drugs, the uh, policing, um, you know, just he's just a victim of this system. And so I feel like his story is plausible. But so why isn't anyone uh, representing him? and making legal arguments on his behalf. So with that said, Mr. Whaley, again, thanks for being patient with me, and welcome to the program. Uh, thank you, Mr. Reed. I really appreciate it. I would just like to say I really appreciate Black Talk Radio and, and the format that you have uh, presented. I wish that more people in the black community knew about this Internet radio station. It is very important. Uh, since I've been listening to Black Talk Radio, I've learned so much. I've been listening to you for about a year, and I was just amazed at the format that you, you know, have with so many different stations, all the programming that you present, and everything. You really need the support of the black community, and I appreciate you uh, letting me come on to the show. Oh, this is the people's platform, and I appreciate your your comments and your appreciation for the work that we do. But I, before we jump into, you know, this ideal that we were having a Facebook discussion about, you know, some legal defense organization to take on cases like uh, Mr. Tr Tr Tremaine Wilburn's case. But you have an interesting background. You're former military. Uh, you actually uh, got firsthand experience working as a prison guard with modern slavery on a prison plantation. And now uh, you are 21st century abolitionist. So tell us about that journey, man. How do you journey from, from, you know, not unlike myself, you know, being in the military, then you join, you know, you became a prison guard and now you're an abolitionist because, I mean, the degree of separation between a prison guard and a new abolitionist is, is real wide. So tell us a little bit about that journey if you feel comfortable, you know, sharing that personal information. Oh. That's not a problem. Um, when I got out the Army, I, I'm a combat vet. I was looking for a job, and one of the easiest jobs that I could get real fast um, was New Jersey uh, State Corrections. I came home, took the test, and I got hired w without having to go through a whole lot of problems. And um, when I started working in the prison, I found out it was very dangerous and um it wasn't a pleasant job. I, I'd go on the job and come back home with headaches and everything else. But what I'd like to, to focus on is the, the treatment of the inmates. One of the things that I didn't like working in the prison system was a lot of the, um, the inmates are treated like animals. You know, you got to lock the guys up behind cages. And also, if they, if they don't do what they're told, they have to get beat up. Or... We, we are apt to get beat up the, the correction guards. And so I didn't, I didn't enjoy being a correction officer because it's a dirty job. And, um, so I left that job and I moved to Georgia and I got into the IT field. So now I'm training to become an IT tech. I'm in school and I also work, uh, with doing internet diagnostics. But, um, this, uh, awakening that I had um, to become a new abolitionist came about not only through your program, but the way I felt personally. I, I just didn't like locking up the brothers because most of the time 
when I was working in the prison system, most of the inmates are black men. And when when I looked at that, you know, I'm, I'm active to go to prison. I'm a black male. And um, so that's what the prison system wants us to do. They want us to go out to commit crimes so they can lock us up. And and then your program, you know, informed me even more that you don't have to commit a crime to get locked up. They make laws just to be broken so a person can go to prison. And so that's how I became a new abolitionist because I, the way I felt about it and I've seen inmates get beat up and jumped. Uh, I've seen drugs get smuggled into prisons. I've seen this guy when I was working at the, uh, in, in the prison system, he almost overdosed off of heroin. And they're running around trying to find out how he get this heroin in the prison. And I already knew how he got it in there. I didn't bring it in, but I know who brought it in there for him. And the guy almost overdosed. But yet, you know, we're in, in there guarding these guys. Um, but we got guards that are, that are, you know, criminals themselves. So I, I, I feel like, you know, imprisoning people for profit is, a, is another thing that you brought up. That it's like, you know, I, I feel it's very totally wrong. Um, they have a, a, a CCA prison near where I stay at now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I wouldn't apply to them. I think it's morally wrong. And it's shocking how the system could let these institutions uh, exist knowing that they're corrupt. And when I first became a, a correction guard, I didn't know that they had private prisons. I just thought all the prisons were state ran, but evidently they're not. And uh, we have, you know, all these private prisons that are there just for profit. So it makes it easy to lock people up, keep them in there for longer sentences uh, for crimes that they really didn't commit or shouldn't be locked up for. So that's how I made my journey to becoming a new abolitionist. And then through your program, you just mapped out the history from slavery up to now and 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 just brought it crystal clear because not right. everyone that's in prison is a criminal. And I've seen that myself working in a prison. Well that Hello? Yes, yes, I'm still here. Um I'm I mean, but that's how the media um tries to paint in the minds of the masses through media is that the all these people deserve to be there, number one. Uh, from the uh, research that me and some, you know, fellow comrades have done and, and a whole lot of other people. It's common knowledge. The vast majority of people in prison are in there over nonviolent drug crimes. You mentioned New Jersey. Uh, the people of New Jersey voted a while ago to uh, legalize medicinal cannabis and, and, and um, what's the governor name again? Chris Christie. Yeah. And he has direct ties, you know, from the start of his political career to private uh, prisons that operate in New Jersey. And so he stops, you know, cannabis legalization in any form from being implemented, even though it was passed by the voters in a statewide ballot initiative. So so, you know, um, that's that's what we try to just get people to see, man. And and so I guess now you see that it, it's slavery, man. It, it's slavery. And it, you mentioned also the um, 
private prisons and that, you know, they shouldn't be around. And interestingly, uh, Bernie Sanders came out and saying he will introduce a bill because he is a senator. He's going to introduce a bill that's going to eliminate or abolish private prisons. And and that doesn't go you know, all the way in abolishing slavery, but, you know, that is a step in, a, that's a monumental step in the right direction if you start with getting rid of for-profit prisons, because he says, in his words, it's morally, you know, reprehensible. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, today, I've seen some county inmates doing some construction work, and, you know, years ago, construction work was for, for people that got paid to do that. Now they got the county, county inmates doing the construction work. About a year ago, in the county that I live in, uh, the county inmates redid the courthouse. Mm -hmm. They went in and repainted it, uh, put new lights and, and did some plumbing and everything. And I know it saved the county a lot of money, but that's taking jobs away. And so, just like you said, modern-day slavery, what they pay these guys with, a 20 cents a day or something like that, when really those jobs should be paying, you know, a lot more than that. And you brought out um, how AT&T and some of the other companies hire inmates to work call centers and do other stuff inside the prisons, but then when they get out, they can't even work for the company. Right. Yeah. I, I, think, I think that's terrible. Well, when I worked in the prison, um, we didn't have those type of jobs. We had like... Uh, Guys with, uh, they had small contracts like putting pens and, and bags and stuff, something like that. Um, but still, they got paid for, for, for a piece. You know, they did like five bags, they got like 50 cents or something like that. But, um, it was on a smaller scale than what you're talking about now with these big companies, uh, having these multi-million dollar contracts with the prison system. And then not paying the inmates anything. Right. There was actually a, a story. I'm sure it can be found on New Abolitionist Radio's Facebook page. But I just read about a story where these inmates are suing. Uh, they're, these are former inmates. And they had even like uh, made secret markings on the products that they were making. And they weren't being paid anything. They were working out of a jail. And this private company was selling those products. And they were able to prove that they made those products that was being sold because they had, like, you know, tagged it with some initials and then, you know, uh, um, like, you know, hidden in a hidden spot or something like that. So, man, I mean, it's, it's, it's so prevalent. I, I think, you know, we haven't even scratched the surface on how prevalent, you know, uh, modern day slavery is. But let's, let's, um, talk more about Tremaine Wilburn's case. What, what are your, what were your initial thoughts on this case and what are your thoughts now? Could you fill me in exactly? Tremaine Wilburn. Yeah, Tremaine Wilburn is the is the um, black male who was said to be in a car double parked, double parked when this officer came up on them. And the way the official story is from the authorities is that this guy just opened up fire on on him. Uh, on a cop, Sean Bolton. Uh, the sister says that the guy got her brother Tremaine out of the car, um, said that he was telling him to put his hands up, but at the same time restraining his arms behind his back. And so he told the officer, I can't lift my arms. And then a struggle ensued. 
and and you know he ended up killing them and saying and he's pleading stand your ground self-defense and and so you know that's the story now he's facing first degree murder charges and and so that's where that's the story yes yes i remember that um you know i i don't trust a lot of these police officers and the way i look at it is like this um it's better to be tried by 12 than to be tried by six a lot of brothers are not here today by these cops killing them and then saying, well, the guy resisted the arrest, or he did this, that, the other, and the brother stood up for himself, and he, he fought back. He might have to go to prison, or, you know, he might have to go through this uh, by defending himself, but I stand by him. Um, and, you know, it's either that or or, or die. And, and uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes it, it takes that. And I feel that um, I feel that this case is noteworthy. Uh, you had spoke to me about a, a defense fund, and that's a very interesting thing. With the money that the black community has, I think that we should we should all donate to a defense fund to help cases like this. There was an attempt to set up a, a fund, but it wasn't like for Mr. Wilburn specifically, but for his family as he has a. You know, uh, small children as well as uh, I don't know if that's his wife or if that's the mother of his children, but his family. And that was uh, set up on GoFundMe and then it was shut down, obviously. And so but I haven't seen anything like a legal defense fund because I would contribute to it because I believe his story is 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 plausible. Just because a cop has been killed, I'm not going to run from the story and, and turn away from any facts right now. As a journalist, I'm investigating the facts of, of this case. And, and, you know, it isn't easy because the media isn't interested in delving into this cop background who is also a military veteran. He's he had a. Um, I don't, you know, I know like in the Army, 11 Bravo was the infantry designation or MOS, but this guy was a combat Marine and he did a tour in, in Iraq. And there's the possibility that he could be also uh, uh, suffering from PTSD. And now when I had posted about that possibility of him having PTSD, somebody uh, posted saying that they are, they have PTSD and that it doesn't make you violent, it doesn't make you aggressive. But I actually looked up looked up the clinical definition of PTSD, and it does have the, have those kind of symptoms of being aggressive, yeah, of being paranoid, and, and and this and that. So someone was engaging, spreading disinformation. And so why is this important? Well, it would explain the it would it makes the story of Mr. Wilborn plausible. He's saying that this cop snatched him out the car and got aggressive with him, started manhandling him. Now, if you mm -hmm. are sna as a black man, especially in Memphis, which has a high high uh, number of, of police involved shootings in that city, and you are being manhandled by a cop and you seeing all of these hashtag victims on social media, what man would not in his right mind be in fear for their life? I would be in fear for my life if a cop started manhandling me. Would you? Oh, yes. Also, you know, another thing, it's just being a man anyway. It's just being a man anyway. I mean, you know, I wouldn't want somebody just grabbing me and throwing me up against the car and this, that, the other. And any other real man would want you, whether the guy's a cop or not. So, you know, the brother said, to hell with that. You know, you get your hands on him and he, and he killed the guy. 
Well, I can understand that. And so he said the cop was going to hurt him and he feared for his life. So, you know, if we're all humans. Just because this guy is white and he's a cop, that doesn't mean he can do anything he wants to, to, to his brother. And he defended himself. So, you know, I have to respect that. So I understand exactly what you're talking about. I, I, you know, I wonder to myself, too, what if I got stopped and I got one of these racist cops that tried to hurt me? What would I do? Would I sit there and let the guy beat me up or hurt me? Or would I defend myself and possibly lose my life? You know, and so that's what he was, that's what he was facing. But, um, it looks like he won this one and he came out, but the other, you know, the other guy is dead, but, and that's the choice that cop made when he started to harass the brother. Now, with this case, and as I've been analyzing it and doing research, uh, let me say this. I said it the other day. I think somebody is scrubbing this guy's internet footprint, his digital footprint. And I'm talking about uh, the cop, um, Mr. Um, Bolton. Uh, yeah, his name is Bolton, Sean Bolton. Uh, because when the story first, when I first started looking into the story after I found out about it, it was probably out there about 24 hours. And so I started looking at photos and stuff, and I saw photos of him in his, his military combat gear. You know, uh, apparently probably in Iraq or it could have been on a training base or somewhere else like that. But today, when I started looking for images of him, you know, I put in his name, I put in Iraq, I put in military veteran and all of that. The only pictures I'm getting now is of him at, uh, uh, as a police officer. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And I feel like somebody is, 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 is cleaning up his digital footprint or removing these pictures i kind of felt the same way about his facebook page so i have not labeled this guy or caught or or i'm not saying that racism had anything to do with it okay um I, because i went through his page i could not find again i think his page been been scrubbed but from what i could find on his page i saw nothing that would indicate that this person is a racist i didn't see him supporting the confederate flag or, you know, standing on his page in his Confederate underwear like I've seen some of these other cops do. So I'm not even going to introduce racism into it. I knew, I know that would be the easy route. And, 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 but I don't have when, you know, I try to be codified. If there's no evidence to something, I don't even want to bring it up. So, but we do, we do know that the fight, cops are out here tasked with making arrests, writing tickets, you know, fighting the so-called war on drugs, and we know that they are aggressive for many reasons. And so, again, you know, they're trying to clean up this guy's image, like, for example, the family making statements like, oh, he was just a quiet guy, you know, like he was introverted and stuff like that. And he did read a lot of books because, you know, he, he, he talked about the books he read and the things he was reading on his Facebook page. So, but saying he didn't like confrontation. Now, I'm saying to myself, okay, if I'm a person and I don't like confrontation, I sure as hell are, are not going to join the military and become a combat mm -hmm. veteran, get a combat MOS, and I'm certainly not going to become a police officer. So that don't even make sense right there for you to say that he didn't like confrontation. Well, maybe he might have been real quiet at home and introverted and social in his social actions, you know, with people off the job. But then when he went on the job, you know, then he could become, you know, combat super soldier. Who knows? Who knows? Well, I mean, what do you think? 
Well, you brought up an interesting point about them scrubbing his page. Now, you say, like, the day after this thing happened, you put his name into the Internet, and you found pictures of him from Iraq, you know, wearing his uniform. Not a whole like lot, but I found some. But I wasn't able yeah. to find any today. Yeah, and I just looked on Google, and I couldn't find any either. So I, I don't know how they did it, but somehow they can go into the Internet and delete some of these photos. I, I know it's not not impossible, but someone probably, you know, said we'll pull these off. And that, that that's very interesting that you found that. But I guess, they, like you said, they're trying to clean up his image because they want to try to defend his actions uh, before someone else pulls some negative pictures of him up there. That, that's interesting. Well, well not even um, negative pictures, so to speak, but just to support the argument that this guy was a trained killer, number one. Number two, that he possibly could be suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, which I want to go over the symptoms after we come back on the other side of the, of the break. And, uh, but yeah, but just, it's like, okay, for example, Mr. Whaley, you know, you're a military veteran. When people find out that you're a veteran or something that comes up, oh, thank you for your service. You know what I'm saying? Or, or if a cop does something heroic, you know, they don't hesitate to tell you that they're a former combat veteran. I'm not seeing, yes. you know, I'm not seeing any mention of his military uh, history at all in the news stories that's coming out now. Nobody's focusing on that because then again, it would bring up the question of, you know, of, of how he was conducting himself and whether or not he had PTSD. And we'll go over some of those symptoms and not only the symptoms, but the the uh, pharmaceutical drugs that are used to treat treat uh um a ptsd which has side effects of its own so that's what i, I think, think mr I, whaley that, that's true i think that if he was getting treated as ptsd it would probably come out because um i'm not saying his medical records are public but that would probably come out because he would probably be in the va system and the other side's lawyers would probably subpoena some of that stuff. But we that hope that he didn't have PTSD. We hope that and the lawyers would subpoena. We hope that the lawyer, because remember, this is how me and you started talking about this guy needs a, 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 a good defense team because right now he's stuck with a public defender. You know what I'm saying? And so they may, we know the public defender don't have the budget that the prosecution has. And so they may not, they may be one of them public defenders. They just try to get you to plead out anyway. Cause 90% of cases, it, it, criminal cases is a defendant pleading guilty to lesser charges. So we hope, we hope that, you know, if me and you were attorneys licensed to practice in Memphis and we were on his defense team, that's what we would do. We would subpoena this cop's medical records. We would subpoena to see if he was being treated, any kind of medications he was on. Was his body given a toxicology report? You see what I'm saying? So, so again, that's why we, I feel like his case is very important. Uh, because of the wider implications and the questions that it brings up, not just about Mr. Mr. Uh, Wilburn and Mr. Bolton, but the whole practice of putting combat vets in this position that possibly have PTSD. That's true. I know. I, I know. I was questioned before when I got out the army that I had PTSD. I went and applied some place and. Uh, 
first thing the guy asked me, he said, are you disabled? And I said, no. Then he asked me, did I have PTSD? And I think I knew what it was. And I was like, no, I don't have that either. But uh, I got questions. But did I have PTSD? I wouldn't have told him yes if I did anyway. But, but I, I was questioned before that I that, that I received treatment for PTSD. Um, I, 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 I wanted to ask you something, too, uh, about, and I'm not trying to get off the subject, but what about these other cases where these uh, police are shooting people like uh, Slager, when he shot um, the, uh, the guys, Walter the Scott, Scott. He shot him in the back. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and uh, the little girl, the little girl that got shot while she was sleeping. Uh, what I don't Jones. understand is when these police officers uh, shoot people, and the little girl that got shot, Tamir Rice. What happens when, when you know they they get let off? And I can't understand if. If a, if a police officer shoots a little girl, a little boy, and it's by mistake, they should be terminated immediately. That should be hands down. You make a mistake, kill somebody, they, you know, I'm sorry, that's it. You know, they should be off the job. But they get to keep their jobs. Until the, when we have yeah. a brother like the one that we're speaking about, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Wilburn. Mr. Conrad Wilburn, that, mm-hmm. that, you know, defended himself. Now they want to throw him in prison for the rest of his life for a very long time. Right. So I understand exactly what you what you mean. And then look at the rash of these uh, police killings. And this just hasn't started. I'm glad the focus is on it now. But this has been going on for mm-hmm. a very long time. Yes. We're just now focusing on it. But how long has it been going on? Yeah, right. The 80s, mm-hmm. the 70s, the 60s, the 40s, all the way back. Mm-hmm. Black people have been getting terrorized, beat up, ran over by white policemen. And uh, it's got to stop somewhere. And this brother here, he was like, look, I'm, I'm going you know, to protect myself. But you got to respect him for that. Most definitely. Um, yeah, by any means necessary, man. What are you supposed to do? Just put your hands up? And let a cop just brutalize you. I know that's the mm-hmm. message that the mainstream is sending, but that's not one that I want to send to anyone. So you're listening to Black Talk Radio News. Uh, we are on uh, air right now with Mr. Paul Whaley, and we're talking about Tremaine Wilburn's uh, case. Mr. Wilburn was charged with first-degree murder in the killing of Memphis police officer Sean Bolton. There are many unanswered questions. Um Things that we should be asking are not being asked in the mainstream media. And so uh, when we don't see those things, we got to make up for that lack of coverage and hope that we can push the conversation in the right direction. Give us a call. What are your thoughts? Give us a call. Um, The telephone number is 605-562-3140. That's 605-562-3140. The participant code is two six nine six two six six. Excuse me, two six nine six two six and pound. I will uh, memorize that number and get the flow down. It's a new number, so I apologize. But y'all stay tuned. We'll be back on the other side. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for podcasts and live program scheduling. Visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. 
And welcome back to Black Talk Radio News. Well, Mr. Whaley, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, a legal defense organization. And you had said, like, you know, you had started a nonprofit before. And, of course, I've started a nonprofit, the Black Talk Media Project. But like I had intimated to you, it's, it's I have my plate so full, you know what I'm saying, that I can't take that on. You know what I'm saying? And we have people who listen to this program who are conscious, who are attorneys. I'm making that plea to y'all. That's y'all people area activity of expertise. This is something that I would, would devote any resources I could towards supporting, but this is not something that I should lead. Um, in terms of Mr. Wilburn's individual case, um, if nobody steps forward to create a legal defense fund for him, preferably a family member, you know, this is things we're going to have to uh, continue to explore. If I'm forced to, I will start that fund. But I'm telling you, we got attorneys out there. We got people that are more qualified than I am to do these things. And so I just feel like this is a very important case because it opens up the door to um to a discussion on the wider problem of police terrorism and violence, you know, and, and sure, a lot of it is due to racism, these racist white cops and then proxy racism. That's where the non-white cop goes along with the killing or he doing killing of other black people, you know, so all these things are problem. But what what percentage of the problem may be related to PTSD? Because the U.S. government has a incentive program for police departments to hire combat vet veterans or just veterans, period. Now, we've been at war for how long? You know, I mean, I got out the military in 1992 after the Gulf War. It wasn't too long after that. You know what? Another 10 years. And, and now we've been in Iraq and Afghanistan ever since. That's a whole lot of people that's being cycled in and out of a war zone. And so I'm sure a lot of these people have, maybe not all, but I'm sure a lot of these people have PTSD that hasn't been properly diagnosed or they're trying to hide it or whatnot because they want to be a cop, you know, because it's so easy for them to get those jobs. Because, again, the federal government gives police department incentive to hire these people. And, again, it's not to demonize them, but what if that's part of the problem? Maybe that, you know, I think is is something that is worth exploring. I mean, what are your thoughts, Mr. Whaley? That's excellent. That 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 is so true because you you've got guys that they've hired that um on these police forces that that are not combat vets or veterans that got psychological problems. Mm-hmm. You can just imagine getting a combat veteran that's been in, in in combat like I have that came back that's not all there. Then you give him a gun and then on top of that he's racist. And then, you know, he's bound to do something like that. And then they try to cover this, uh, these actions up. Another thing I like to bring up is this legal defense fund to help black defendants fight against these cases. It's excellent because if you notice, every time one of these racist cops shoots and kills one of the brothers or sisters, you got all these white people that donate hundreds and thousands of dollars mm-hmm. to, to get these guys out of prison. Like this last guy that shot that brother in the car. Mm-hmm. And he, he had a million dollar bond. The he Cincinnati got out like two cop. Days later. Yeah, the Cincinnati cop. Yes. He got out like two days later and through donations. And I know it wasn't us donating, it was, it was you know, it was these white people 
And, and, and I, I'm not talking this, but I'm just saying it's mostly racist white people that donate to get these guys out of, out of jail so they can't go to prison. And so the black community needs to, needs to have a defense fund like that too to help get our people out of prison. Because just because it's not us, it might be our brother, our sister, our son, or our daughter that gets locked up next or gets killed by one of these cops. And so we should have a, a defense fund to help defend ourselves just like when these cops, you know, get caught doing something, then you got all these rich white people donating to get them out of prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I certainly agree. I mean, like a long-standing defense fund, not just one defense fund for one individual, but a defense fund that people that that's always up and running, and people taking can make contributions, monthly contributions, and then you know it'll be like, of course, staffed by attorneys and and, and um, paralegals, and they screen cases. You know, you just yes. don't want to take any case. You want to take a good case that you think can can advance the agenda. And and what I think advancing the agenda that I'm trying to advance through Tremaine Wilburn is that, you know, black people have a right to stand their ground and defend their lives against whomever, you know, and, and, and change this paradigm that if you kill a cop, oh, that's automatic, you know. And so, you know, we can't just lead these people to fend for themselves when this has implications, you know, on the broader issue of police violence and establishing the black person or, or any victim of police uh, brutality. For example, now it is racist because check this out. I was just reading a story yesterday and I actually shared that story on Facebook about this jury uh, acquitted this white guy of shooting a cop who came in his house on a no-knock drug warrant, shot the cop in the face, right? This jury acquitted mm-hmm. him. And I said, you know, I just had read a little bit about it. I didn't go looking up the man's picture and stuff like that. I said, but I'm willing to bet you it's white. This this person who just got let go for killing this cop is white. And, they, and somebody else looked it up, and certainly it was a white person. Because, see, them juries can identify. They empathize. You know what I'm saying? But when it comes to a black person, you got to have skillful attorneys to make. If you got going, you know, you're going to have probably a majority white jury. You got to have some skillful attorneys to get them to feel any kind of empathy for a black person who has to defend themselves against a cop. You know, and and so we got to fight this, man. You brought up something uh, the other day on one of your radio shows about how they, um, stack these juries to make them mostly all white all the time and that they screw black jurors because maybe the guy didn't like the way he looked or something mm-hmm. like that and for frivolous reasons right. and when we have these cases they're mostly white juries that that they're, um, that they're picking and some of these laws have to be changed to stop that Yes, and, uh, and, and, and that, that, that goes to you know changing the laws on how how they pick jurors and how they can exclude jurors. We need more black juries to help defend against in, in these cases too, so that we can have fair trials. Right. I mean, what I'm looking for in this case is somebody's wondering. I'm just looking for justice. Justice doesn't mean justice in this case doesn't mean that Mr. Rest on. Let me put it this way: justice doesn't rest 
on Mr. Wilburn's guilt or innocence. Even though I believe in his innocence, I believe there's a reasonable doubt. There's a reasonable doubt that he did not kill this cop in cold blood like they trying to say he did. I do believe it was an act of self-defense. But besides that, it's about justice. And what justice means is an impartial jury and an impartial trial with an impartial judge and all the evidence is weighed. It, nothing's kept out. Everything's brought in that, that Mr. Wilburn, the defense attorney, has just as much equitable resources to defend their clients through the through the uh public defender's office as what the prosecutor has but we know that that's not the case and so that's why we uh, that's why we need a uh, legal defense funds for cases like these yes uh just like the um the organization that gets people out of prison based on dna evidence i forgot the name of that uh, innocence project the, the what is it again? The Innocence Project is one oh, of them. Oh, yes. The, the Innocence Project. Now, they started out small, and now they're internationally known. And uh, we should try to start a, a, a organization that's patterned on them that can help black people that get arrested on mm -hmm. trumped-up charges and things like that get out of jail. And like you said, the cases need to be screened so that we don't have guys getting arrested that you know, actually did something trying to do that, but we're actually trying to get unjust cases, people free, so they don't have to go to prison. Or people that have been killed, and so we can turn that around and prosecute the, the police that have actually killed these people unnecessarily. I want to share a comment from a listener, Burnt Sienna. Uh, Scotty, can we write to Memphis papers and or TV stations to grant more info or attention to come forth about this police officer with that help? Um, certainly that, you know, I can't say whether or not it would, but I would say it would be constructive. You know, it doesn't take that long to make a phone call or send an email or, um, but yeah, ask these questions. If they publish an article, Go on their websites, write in the comment section. Well, what about this? Where is Mr. Bolton's uh, toxicology report? Was he on any kind of ph pharmaceutical drugs that made him aggressive? Because if he was, that makes Mr. Wilburn's story more plausible. So, you know, propaganda warfare is not always just about writing articles, writing headlines, doing radio programs. It's also just leaving comments in a comment section. You'd be surprised the millions of people that read comment sections and the influence that you can have, you know, with the argument. It seems something small, but in the grander scheme of the propaganda war, it, it, it is. You're firing a shot. You're firing an uh, information shot. So, I, you know, I would encourage you to do whatever you think is constructive uh one of the things i discussed the other day was i need to learn how to apply for this information from the police department and through the freedom of information act or state public records laws and things of that nature you know if, if we can prove that we are you know members of the media um i'm a non-profit we, i mean i'm attached to a non-profit black talk media project um, new media education organization, you know, that's how we are set up. So maybe under that, I could claim credentials of press credentials and say, you know, I have a right to this information. My readers have a right to this information. You know, our network, people who come to our, our network, 
which is news oriented, have a right to this information. The public has a right to this information. So there are a number of things that, that we, we should do. Perhaps people are publishing local papers up there, you know, independent black, uh, um, uh, maintaining a blog or whatever. You know, in a lot of cases, you are considered a member of the press. So, you know, these are things that, that we can think about, strategize on, and try to put tools in the toolbox to use to get this information. So thank you for uh, that comment. Hey, if you have any comments, give us a call. What's your thoughts? 605-562-3140. Again, the phone number is 605-562-3140. The extension is 269-626. 269-626. Hit pound. Then it's star six and one to comment on air. Uh, Mr. Whaley, go ahead. You have some thoughts. Uh, yes. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Mr. Reed. Um, I wanted to also say I think that um, we should start creating more gun clubs, too, because I'm a gun advocate. I'm, I'm not for violence, but I am for guns because... You know, there, there's a need for guns. Uh, when you look back at, like, Nazi Germany, where they took all the guns away from the so-called Jews there, they, they couldn't even defend themselves. And so I think that the black community should have some nice gun clubs, just like you got these white gun clubs running around with these AKs and and all these pistols and things like that, you know, and they walking around town with them. Well, we can have our gun clubs. So, you know, just in case something happens, we have something to defend ourselves on. Right. Give um, you, give you a ch at least a, a fighting chance to survive whatever may happen. And it's just likely to happen if they know you got guns. But I mean, some of these white groups, they're, they're, they're not afraid to start some sort of war. And, um, I, I, I really think that, that that's very possible. You might have some of these white militia groups start shooting or whatever to initiate some sort of small civil war. And if it happens in the black community, all we got is a couple of pistols and stuff, but they coming around with AKs, M16s, and all this, all this all the armor that they built up over the years, plus they've been learning how to shoot. They got gun clubs and everything. Will be wiped out, and I think black communities should have their own gun clubs. Teach the children how to shoot, gun safety. It's not to rob anyone; it's for self protection. Mm -hmm. So that just in case they have to defend themselves, they know how to. Instead of teaching the young girls how to twerk, teach them how to use a pistol. That's that's the outlook. Instead of teaching the young boys, you know, how to wear their pants down. You know, teach them how to use the AK and load it and take it apart and clean it and stuff. Because you find some of these young white kids out here, they can go out here and go hunting and take apart their father's rifle and all this stuff. But the young brothers, we're not doing that. And the, the brothers that do got the guns, they use them against each other. we robbing each other or shooting each other. And that's a shame. That's got to stop. Yeah, guns, guns have always been a part of black culture, particularly in, in the South. You know, and that is how our communities have survived. Our ancestors have survived. Don't think that those, if those people could have wiped them out, that they wouldn't have, because they would have 
wiped them out. All of them vile racists that was doing all that lynching and stuff like that. You know, a big part of the reason why everybody wasn't lynched is because they had gun clubs and rifles and shotguns and would defend themselves. That's just not recorded in their history textbooks. Okay, and we have had black scholars and other scholars uh, you know, gather this, do this research and put it together in books. But we do have to change that thinking in the black community because the black community has been programmed by the Democratic Party for so long to be against guns. That, that this is how you solve gun violence is by taking away guns, put passing gun restrictions. And as we can see that in all these places, um, that it has not stopped any kind of places where they have restrictions of guns. It doesn't stop gun violence. And, and so, you know, but again, we're focusing on today, though, the gun violence of the police. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. So, you know, lots of violence going on out there. Now, I want to, uh, again, focus back on Mr. Wilburn's case, because I think, you know, that person was being, um, deceptive in saying like PTSD people with PTSD uh are not violent or you know they're less likely to shoot people this is what somebody left a comment when I asked that question on social media the other day and I was I was like you know I wasn't gonna blast them and say oh you lying because I hadn't done the research I was just asking the questions and I couldn't name the specific symptoms so I was like okay okay but I'm not trying to demonize everybody with T PTSD and say that they was violent and all this and that. I'm sure there's exceptions to the rule. But then when I look at it today, man, it makes me even more concerned. When I went to a, a PTSD dot Virginia, or excuse me, this is from the Veterans Administration. PTSD dot VA dot gov. All right. Clinicals Guide to Medications for PTSD. Now, this is the overview. This is very important. Again, why is this important as it relates to Mr. Wilburn's case? Because he said that this cop snatched him through his sister. He said that this cop violently snatched him out the car. Then, you know, was restraining him with his arms behind his back and then giving mm -hmm. him confusing commands to raise his arms above his head when he could not physically do so because the cop was physically restraining his arms and he tells the cop how can I do this if you hold in my arms and then from there a struggle ensues and and we know that Sean Bolton ended up dead and Mr. Uh, 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 Tremaine Wilburn is alive I think his story is plausible. You know, I think that it is possible that if Sean Bolton was being treated for PTSD, suffered from PTSD, that, 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 that would explain his aggressive behavior. And I would say it may explain a lot of the invest aggressive behavior we're seeing across this nation from many of these police officers because of the program that makes it so easy for veterans to become cops. And I don't think they screen these people like they should screen them. So let me give you an overview of post-traumatic stress disorder. I tell you what, I do need to take my break at the top of the hour. I'm going to do that, and then we'll jump right into the PTSD. I will check the phone lines. Uh, Mr. Whaley, um, I know we said we were going to be on with you, you know, minimum 30 minutes, but you, you're welcome to hang out as long as you want to hang out, brother, okay? So just want to let you know that anytime you have to go, just let us know. All right, you're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed, broadcasting from behind these enemy lines. We'll be 
right back. conditions to do until they began to adjust themselves to those conditions rebellions will continue and they will escalate they will escalate sometimes the question has been raised about why black men fight and have fought for this country it is the black man's implacable will to be free that makes him fight for this country and it is that same will that will make him fight this country, fight this country, fight this country. I want to address myself now to problems as they exist in the black community across America. And America cannot be considered as a stable and just society. But no stable and just society can mount a successful offensive against black youth who break a window and at the same time plead that it is powerless to protect black youth who are being murdered because they seek to make American democracy a reality, reality, reality. Each time a black church is bombed, burnt, that is violence in our streets. Each time a black body is found in the swamps of Mississippi and Alabama, that is violence in our land. Each time black white workers cannot be protected by the government, that is anarchy. Each time a police officer shoots and kills a black teenager, that is urban crime. You see, we recognize America for what it is, the fourth right. And we tell America to be on notice because if you are going to play Nazis, Black folks ain't gonna play Jews. Ain't gonna play Jews. And welcome back to Black Talk Radio News. Let me get that phone number out one more time. That is. 605-562-3140. That's 605-562-3140. The participant code is 269-626 and pound. That's 269-626 and pound. Hit star one. Once you dial in the conference line, if you want to come in on air, you can also hit us up on the studio line, 704-951-5030. Now, um, let me go into this PTSD um, information from the VA, um, the U.S. Government Veteran Affairs. All right. So I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to jump down. This is a clinician's guide to medications for PTSD. So this is one doctor, Matt Jeffries, MD, uh, giving an overview on what drugs that you would prescribe uh, for PTSD. But so I'm going to jump down. What core PTSD symptoms are medications targeting? Again, I'm alleging that it is quite possible that many of these cops, including Sean Bolton, 
suffer from PTSD. They may be on medications. They may be hiding, uh, trying to be under the radar and not getting treatment for their PTSD because they're afraid that they admit it, that they will be, won't be able to get a job, that whole stigma and everything. So, you know, these are the four main PTSD symptom clusters of the DSM-5 criteria. All right. Intrusion. Examples include nightmares, unwanted thoughts of the traumatic events, flashbacks, and reacting to traumatic reminders with emotional distress or physi physiological reactivity. Physically, I, I, I'm not even going to try to say that again anyway, um, meaning that you could have triggers. That's how I'm reading that. And, and we've seen that and we often heard with Vietnam veterans, you know, through media that things can trigger people to have a flashback to a situation and they have a bad reaction to that flashback. So that's what I'm taking intrusion means, you know, um, avoidance. Example include avoiding triggers for traumatic memories, including places, conversations, and other reminders. So, again, a cop, uh, if I'm a combat veteran and I've been out there in, in, in combat duty, I've seen people get killed, I've had to kill people, and, you know, I'm saying being a police officer, you know, it seems like there are there's just too many opportunities for me to be triggered for that avoidance to be triggered. And so avoid I would avoid going into a field like that, it, it would seem um, negative alterations in cognitions and mood. So that's like perception right there and your mood. Um, negative alterations in cognitions and mood. Examples include distorted blame of self or others for the traumatic event, negative beliefs about oneself or the world, persistent negative emotions, fear, guilt, shame, feeling alienated and constricted effect, inability to experience positive emotions, uh, arousal and reactivity. Examples include angry, reckless, or self-destructive behavior, sleep problems, concentration problems, increased startle, startle response, and hypervigilance. Uh, what is the current understanding of the biological disturbances found in PTSD? The biological disturbances in PTSD can be conceptualized as a dysregulation of the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis and the balance between excitatory and inhibitory brain neurocircuitry. This is the result of a dysregulation of adrenic mechanisms that that mediate the classical fight, flight, or freeze response. Uh, Yehuda and others have found that patients with PTSD have hypersensitivity of the HPA axis as compared to patients without PTSD and have a much greater variation in their levels of adrenal um, norte sides. So anyway, I've linked to this information. Now, it goes on to talk about what kind of drugs that they use. And so I looked up the drugs. Prozac and Effexor is two properly, uh, popularly prescribed and well-known drugs. So you could just look up Prozac side effects. What are the side effects of Prozac? I'm on drugs.com. Um, if any of the 
following side effects occur while taking, let me see, Prozac side effects. This page contains side effects data for the generic drug of Flozextine. It is possible that some of the dosage forms included below may not apply to the brand name Prozac. It is possible that some of the side effects, side effects of Prozac may not have been reported. These can be reported to the FDI, FDA. So I, I don't want there to be any kind of confusion. Let me go to this other site that's uh, talking about. This was done. Uh, if, uh, go ahead. Um, I, I wanted to say um, that down here where I live at, it's probably all over the United States. Some of the smaller towns don't train the, the police officers as much as they should be, like in the bigger cities, because they don't have the money. And from what I've heard, well, I live in a town where, 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 where the cops, where we get cops that are rejected from other forces. Like, say a cop gets fired from one force. That's what know, happened in Atlanta. That's what they, happened they with Timothy Lowman. Huh? That's what happened with they, Timothy they Lowman. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. What were you saying? The Tamir Rice case. The officer Tamir, uh, Timothy Lowman that killed Tamir yes. Rice, he was fired from the Independence Police Department, a small town police department, and, um, he was fired, and then, um, he went and got a job with the Cleveland Police Department. Yeah, you know, and so, and, and that ties right into what you were saying about the PTSD and the drugs that they use. I don't know who wrote you and said, well, whoever has PTSD doesn't get violent. Well, that's possible, but then it's also possible that people that have PTSD do get violent. And you know that by reading the psychological, uh, you know, profile of some people that have PTSD. Yes, mm -hmm. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. Jump in any time. Um, here is some of the side effects of Prozac. Let me pull that back up. Uh, let me close this one. Side effects, side effects. Okay. Uh, besides these physical side effects, here it is. Okay. The side effects. Prozac FDA prescribing information. Side effects. Adverse reaction. The following adverse reactions are discussed in more detail in other sections of the labeling. Labeling. Suicidal thoughts and behaviors in children, adolescents, and young adults. Uh, serotonin syndrome. I don't know what that is. Allergic reactions and rash. Uh, screening patients for bipolar disorder and monitoring for mania, hypomania. Uh, seizures. Let me see. Uh, anxiety and insomnia. So, you know, paranoia and stuff like that. Potential for cognitive and motor impairment. You know, that's something you don't want to be impaired if you out there on the street and you a cop. You want to have your your con con cognitive motor skills at their highest. You know what I'm saying? So these are some of the side effects for Prozac, which is being used to treat um, PTSD. And again, I don't know if Sean Bolton had PTSD. I'm just saying that nobody is delving into his background and the media is not digging into his background like they digging into Tremaine Wilburns to say that, hey, he robbed a bank in the past. He spent this much time in solitary confinement, whatnot. 
you know, um, he was doing a job. But we're not getting any kind of background information other than Sean Bolton is a Memphis police officer. Okay. What about Mm -hmm. his toxicology report? What drugs was in his system? Being that he is an Iraqi combat veteran, was he ever treated for post-traumatic stress disorder? Is he being treated for post-traumatic stress disorder? Is he on any of these drugs? Is he using uh, Prozac? What's the other one um, I had heard about? Uh, Let me see. Paxil, uh, Zoloft. And I have talked about these in the past because of the um the um not only did they say that it could uh trigger suicidal th- uh behavior but homicidal behavior so I'm on effects sore side effects that's one of the popular ones drowsiness dizziness feeling nervous is one strange dreams increased sweating blurred vision dry mouth. Changes in appetite or weight, mild nausea, constipation, decreased sex drive and potence and difficulty having an orgasm. So, you know, uh, that's effects or side effects. Uh, what else they using? Zoloft. That's a popular one. I remember seeing the commercials for uh, Zoloft. So what are the side effects warning for Zoloft? Uh, Zoloft is used to treat depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, panic disorder, anxiety disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, like we said. Uh, let me see, jump down to the, the, um, possible side effects of, of this. Uh, let me see. Very stiff muscles, high fever, sweating, confusion, fast or uneven heartbeats, feeling like you might pass out agitation hallucinations overactive reflexes tremors you know headache trouble concentrating memory problems fainting seizures so i mean even if we just take combat veteran out of the mix who might be suffering from possible ptsd i would say that that being a police officer depending upon where you work like, for example, if you were in New York City, all right, and you were tasked at being the neo-slave catchers in New York City, that you will have a, a, a certain amount of stress level involved in that, especially if you're working in, quote unquote, high crime areas or whatnot. Wouldn't you think that cops would also be susceptible to developing PTSD? And it's not something okay. that we should uh, just associate with being on a battlefield? Of course. Of course, yes. You know, just just normally being out there like that, you can get PTSD. I know working in the prison system, you know, I I didn't like anybody standing behind me. You know, before I, I became a uh, prison guard, you know, somebody could walk behind me. I really didn't, you know, pay attention. But after I started working in the prison, anybody standing behind me or walking behind me, I was always backing up to the wall, making sure, you know, so I know. The cops out there can develop PTSD. Um, I got stopped one time, and uh, this guy was a new cop here in town. And uh, like I said, I live in an area where they change out the police all the time, where, where they send these guys from other forces, or they just graduate the school and whatnot, and they work here six months, and then they go on ahead. But um, I got stopped one morning, like 8 o'clock in the morning, and uh, I was going to the supermarket. I live in a real small rural town. So the guy pulls me over and gets out. He had his hand on his gun. And, you know, I'm like, I, I even asked him, what you doing, man? You just pulled me over. 
you know, I'm like, why you got your hand on your gun? He's backs up and his hand on the gun, got in the car and this and that. And, you know, look at, and I was like, you know, he was one of those hair trigger type cops that would have, would have probably fired on somebody for little or nothing. So when you get guys like that, and I don't think he had PTSD. So just imagine if you got a hair trigger, you know, Bonnie Five type cop running around with his hand on his gun all the time. And then now you got somebody with PTSD. So that adds on to it too. And then you got, you know, these, these power guys that, you know, that like to abuse people. And so I, I think the, the, the police, uh, that got shot by the brother, uh, he probably was one of them power guys, you know, he's going to force somebody to do what he wants him to do. And he ran up on the wrong brother that wasn't going to let that happen. And, um, uh, so that, unfortunately, you know, he got killed for it. Yeah, uh, I'm again. I'm I'm speculating about Sean Bolton, but that's because the information is not being made public. The media in in Tennessee and Memphis, and indeed the national media, are not doing any kind of investigation. They just simply written this off as, "Oh, this this thug killed this cop." And there are just so many underlying issues and there is no reason for anyone to doubt that it is possible that this cop got aggressive with Mr. Wilburn. OK, and and so if I'm Mr. Wilburn's defense attorney, everything I just shared with you, the listening audience and with, with our guest today, Mr. Whaley, I would be I would be trying to bring this out in court. I would, I, and if I was Mr. Wilburn, I would not be confident with a public defender. Not that I'm saying that the public defender that he has may be one of the brightest up and coming young attorneys or, or whatever, you know, but they don't have the resources. The public defender office does not have the resources to put on an A1 defense. And so that is again where we need to step in the void. Is and and then I was looking at the video of Mr. Wilburn's sister, and I'm sure some people are looking at them and her manner of speaking and saying, "Oh, do you know they from the hood?" And all oh, look at how she's speaking, and and you know, no, we we don't want to want this family to be showcased on national television standing up for this this man's right to defend himself against a police officer. No, we don't want to do that. So we just going to not talk about this case and hope it goes away. You know, I can imagine, Mr. Whaley, some people are looking at it like that. They're embarrassed by the way this woman talk, and they just want it to go away. Yes. Yes. Uh, but opening up a fund like that, um, we're going to need some legal help. And it would be very nice as if we had some black attorneys to volunteer their time and effort to, to open up, um, to, to help form an organization like this, just like the Innocent Project. Yeah, I, I, I helped create a, a nonprofit organization. I didn't do it on my own. I had some help. Well, we, we still had to get a lawyer to help draft up the paperwork. And so, what you're speaking about a legal defense fund for high profile cases or cases that are deemed acceptable to help the black community fight against these racist, uh, this racist criminal justice system is a very, very good idea. And, um, 
I can't stay on too much longer, but I just wanted to, to tell you, uh, Mr. Reed, if anyone wants to do that, you can, you know, get them in touch with me or, and then maybe, you know, we can contact a lawyer to help form this organization. There are listen, lawyers listening to this program right now. There are lawyers that have had programs on this, on this network in the past. There are lawyers out there. And so they are, hopefully if they're not listening now, they're here later. Perhaps we need to be asking them. But I would like to see a national organization. You know, you know, it's not like we need to reinvent the wheel. And so all this would really be is like you could start it out as a defense fund. You raise the funds like that. Then you identify righteous attorneys that meet your criteria in the different states that then, you know, you were hired to take on these cases. And then you just grow each individual chapter in each state. You know, you just grow that one and do local fundraising and stuff. But, you know, the po the public defender's office, it is not able, capable of doing the job. All it's churning out is plea agreements. And it's not really, you know, helping to implement justice in the criminal justice system. It's just going along with it. And that's not an attack on the character of individual public defenders. That's just a statement on the system and how it works. So, Mr. Mr. Whaley, I, I want to thank you. I will, uh, you know, of course, we connected on Facebook. Let's keep kicking this around. But there are attorneys out there, and this is their area of expertise, and there are legal analysts out there, paralegals. It's, this is something we can do. But, you know, Mr. Mr. Wilburn needs a defense. He needs a defense team. And we're going to have to do something starting with this case. And maybe with this case could be the start of, of building something bigger, like a legal defense network. Mr. Whaley, did you have any final thoughts for the listeners? I just wanted to say I want anyone out there that's listening to help donate to uh, Black Talk Radio uh, and, and to support Black Talk Radio. It's a very important Internet radio station that is not supported by the dominant media. And I, I thank you very much, Mr. Reed, for having me on. And uh, it's been a, a pleasure. I want to ask you a question. Is there a way that I can listen to the show? Uh, it, will it be in your yes. archives? Yes, all the programs are archived. Yes. I'll, and what's, what's the name of this show so I can... I will, make, I will make sure I hit you up with that information as soon as it gets posted, Mr. Whaley. You'll have it. All right, then. Thank you, and you have a nice day. All right. You too, brother. Peace to you. All right. Peace to you. Bye-bye. All right. So um, let's go ahead and take a break. I will um, check the phone line, see if anybody has any questions, any commentary that they would like to add. Man, I don't understand what is going on with my Skype uh, single window view. Let me see if I can see that. It's like Skype is doing some crazy things, man, but it shows I'm still connected to the conference line, so I imagine um, everything will be all right. I'm going to take a station identification break, but again, people, you know, don't accept the mainstream narrative of these stories whenever a police officer is killed in the line of duty. I'm not saying that 
you know, we should be like racist suspects and cheer or be happy when any of these cops get killed. Because some of these cops, you know, are being killed in an unjust manner. Some of these cops, you know, it is, it is a dangerous job. It is not the most dangerous job. It's not even in the top 10, but it can be dangerous, you know. And but when one of them gets killed, man, we have to look at everything objectively. That's what justice is about. Justice isn't about taking sides, taking the cop's side, taking a defendant's side. It's not about black or white, taking the black people's side versus the white people's side. It's not about that. Justice is about truth. Okay. Justice is about finding the truth and the just solution to whatever problem, whatever dispute. Okay. And so I feel like, you know, Mr. Wilburn is not getting justice right now. I think that his his claim of self-defense and standing his ground is totally plausible. It is totally logical. And that he deserves his day in court. And I know they are going to put the screws to him to try to get him to plead out when he should take this to trial, take his chances with 12, a jury of 12. And even if he's convicted, he have all those years of appeals, you know. The appeals process. So we just shouldn't just throw in the towel and say, you know, it's no way we can get this guy off. You know, we're just going to have to sacrifice him to the altar of slavery and white supremacy and whatnot. No, no. A skillful attorney could could use the arguments and build upon the arguments I have shared with you, the legal arguments that I have shared with you. And get hey, that would be enough to plant reasonable doubt in my mind. If if I find out that this cop suffered from PTSD, was a combat veteran, trained killer, and this and that, I want to know if he had any prior complaints against him. Did he have any instances of of domestic violence in in his his um relationships? See, all of this is not questions being asked by the local media up there. These are not questions. And, and we know, just like I said, there's a high probability if I'm a Marine with a combat MOS, I'm an infantry, then the chances that I have PTSD are, are, are significantly increased by those experiences. All right? So, you know, just like cops commit domestic violence against their spouses and other people they're in relationships with at twice the national rate. There's, you know, there's something to this. There's something to this, the psychological strain that these officers, who I'm sure would not argue and say they're not under. And I think that there should be a five-year limitation on somebody being a cop. Number one, I think it should be like the military. I've just been thinking about this, so I'm springing it on y'all. Number one, I think there should be a draft for police officers. I think that you should be drafted to be a police officer, and you should serve no less than, let's just say, two years. Two years on the job, all right, um, especially if you're going to be out there on the streets. Nobody should be on the street more than two years. And and then after those two years of service is up, then you go back to your regular job or whatever. I think that would prevent a lot of the psychological problems and the stress building up 
on these officers, these psychological problems that, you know, that's causing them to go home and beat up their wives and girlfriends and, 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 you know, to shoot people, be quick on their trigger, to shoot people on the streets. There, there's a number, if we want to talk about reform, there's a number of ways we could reform policing. Of course, you got to start with end, ending the drug war and policing for profit. But, you know, I don't think that, I, I don't think that it helps Having these people in these positions going on 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, that's a high stressful job. And you are susceptible to all kinds of psychological problems and you probably shouldn't even be licensed to carry a gun. You know, we want to talk about tightening up restrictions on, on people who get guns the mentally ill like they're talking about in that Colorado shooters case James whatever James uh what was that guy named James Long or something like that that shot the, the that shot up all those people in the theater doing that Batman premiere James Holmes that's his name James Holmes and they're saying that he was seeing a psychiatrist and he had these problems and and when he went to buy the gun they should have been able to check that and prevent him from buying a gun. Well, why aren't we using that same argument on preventing people from becoming cops? Huh? Makes sense to me. They carrying guns and all kind of weapons, plus the authority to kill people. Seems like they, they should undergo uh, uh, the same sort of psychological screening because perhaps they shouldn't have guns. Or again, are they seeing psychiatrists? Are they being treated for depression? Are they on packs of uh, uh, these different drugs like Zoloft and Effexor that that have these side effects? To me, when you are a police officer, when you start talking about right to privacy and stuff like that, well, you're not an ordinary member of the public, so I don't think you should have the same privacy rights as others. Just like soldiers, when I was in the U.S. military in the Army, they told me, I, you know, the Bill of Rights don't apply to me. I take orders. You know what I'm saying? They don't talk to me about your rights. You know, ain't no First Amendment rights speeches in the military. Or anything. I don't get to say what I want to say and do what I want to do, you know, as an ordinary citizen would be able to do because I, I, I'm, you know, I'm in the military. I'm in a specific job that has, you know, specific demands on it. And so, you know, I have to I have to uh, be governed more stricter than ordinary citizens. How come we not doing it? seems like the opposite with cops. Damn, get fired in one town. Just go to another town and get a job. Beat up your girlfriend and your wife. You know what I'm saying? Be ordered into counseling. Well, hell, you can still be out there on the streets to take it out on somebody else. These are common sense things. I'm, I'm, I don't think that I am coming up with any kind of ingenious questions or, or ideas. These are common sense things that we ought to be asking. So... Um, just to let you know, some network news, Tando Radio Show will not be on air today. Uh, they normally come on at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Um, Brother Dave has some commitments, that he, uh, family commitments, so he will not be on air today. And we couldn't get a replacement host. But, you know, we got...
pre-recorded programming for you, some programming you probably haven't heard of all the different programs and our different media partners and some of the lectures we upload to the digital radio station. So I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I will check the phone lines. If we don't have any questions or comments about Mr. Wilburn's case or, you know, policing in general, people with PTSD allowed to have guns in patrol the streets. You know, if you don't have any thoughts or comments, I'll hit some of these news stories that I got listed for you today. Some interesting things in the news. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed, uh, broadcasting every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time right here on Black Talk Radio Network. And we will be right back. Want to know the truth and that's a fact? Let me hear you say, and you know that. And you know that. The Dibby Dibby guys are so socialized, but how we gonna make a black nation rise? While you party down, y'all in shock the house. Dip down, rock, shock the house. The two of land is on the loose. Training their kids and machine gun me. Okay, everything has a place and time. We can rock the house too, but we shock your mind. So we can't brag. We have to begin to move to control our community. Everything that's in your community that you don't control is a weapon against you. Public education as it exists today is a weapon against black people. TV and news media, especially the WPP, white power press, white people's paper, and white people's power are enemies against black people. What the white press does is that it makes black people an enemy of black people. Now, let us begin with the modern period of... I guess we could start with 1956 for our generation. This was the beginning of the rise of Dr. Martin Luther King. Dr. King decided that in Montgomery, Alabama, black people had to pay the same prices on the buses as did white people, but we had to sit in the back. And we could only sit in the back if every available seat was taken by a white person. If a white person was standing, a black person could not sit. So Dr. King and his associates got together and said, this is inhuman. We will boycott your bus system. Now understand what a boycott is. A boycott is a passive act. It is the most passive political act that anyone can commit, a boycott. Because what the boycott was doing was simply saying, we will not ride your buses. No sort of antagonism. He was not even verbally violent. He was peaceful. Dr. King's policy was that nonviolence would achieve the gains for black people in the United States. His major assumption was that if you are nonviolent, if you suffer, your opponent will see your suffering and will be moved to change his heart. That's very good. He only made one fallacious assumption. In order for nonviolence to work, your opponent must have a conscience. 
the United States has none. in a state of vanglorious as we are protected by the red, the black, and the green. Heed the words of the brothers. Well, this was a terrorist organization that didn't just defend themselves from specific acts, but initiated acts of terrorism. You say that that in this country? No, I think that the conditions that prevailed in Kenya uh, forced the Mau Mau to take action. And any action that they took, even though it seemed that they were initiating it, actually it was a defensive action. And it was a reaction to the colonial powers that were uh, exploiting them. If you favor such an organization here, does white America favor the Ku Klux Klan or the Citizens Council? And as long as the government, uh, police bodies, do nothing in existence of white terror groups that are terrorizing blacks, then it's time for a black to do whatever is necessary to put these white terror groups in their place. And I feel that a Mao Mao could wipe out the Klan in the north, south, east, and west, and wherever it exists. I'm not against the idea at all. See, people are thinking in terms of, well, they want to brag about being black, which means that they are implying that there's something incorrect about being white, even though these are the creations of the creator. See, and then so everybody gets into this black pride thing or white pride thing, and people immediately start taking sides. It's not about taking sides based on black and white. It's about taking sides based on justice and non-justice. Well, that's what you're really aiming for. Being black doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in justice. And being white doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in justice, except you mean in, you believe in non-justice. And that doesn't make any difference what shade you are or how tall you are or who your cousin was or anything like that or what so-called nationality you have. Like a lot of people say that they take pride in being an Englishman or take pride in being a Frenchman, or take pride in being Afrocentric. Well, you're not supposed to be proud of any of those things if you don't believe in justice, because these words mean nothing. No nationality means anything. And, and waving a flag if you don't believe in not mistreating people. You've got to believe in not mistreating people, and you've got to believe in helping people that need help the most. Otherwise, you don't even have any business breathing. This is Brother Elliot. First time for an awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. And welcome back to Black Talk Radio News. Scotty Reed in on this mic. Again, the phone number is 605-562-3140. The participant code is 269-626-POUND. Hit star one and comment. Uh, Bernie Sanders. Now, this is um, in terms of new abolitionism, uh, fighting against 21st century slavery and human trafficking. 
Uh, this really will put a big dent in the human trafficking portion of it. But, um, you know, of course, it's all based on slavery. But Bernie Sanders says, and that's the presidential candidate, I'm talking about Senator Bernie Sanders from Vermont, says that he'll introduce a bill prohibiting for-profit prisons. Again, we talk a lot about 21st century slavery. Slavery was never abolished. The 13th Amendment is the proof. The proof is in the pudding. Read the lines that it, that um, is in that that <clears throat> document to call the Constitution. They say that's the supreme law of the land. Well, the supreme law of the land says slavery is still in full force in effect if you can convict somebody of a crime. So these private prisons started popping up after President Reagan allowed Wall Street to get back in on the slavery gang. And allowed them to uh, the federal government to start uh, subcontracting out the operation of these prisons and these immigration detention facilities to these these private prison enslavers. And so Bernie Sanders was at a rally in Nevada last night. And he said that he when uh, Congress reconvenes, this is his quote. When Congress reconvenes in September, I will be offering legislation. I will be introducing legislation which takes corporations out of profiteering from running jails. Now, let's examine that language right there. So let me back up. He said jails. What about the prisons? See, there, there's a whole lot of little corporations and stuff that, that, you know, contract to operate jails and stuff like that. But what about prisons? There's a difference between a prison and a jail. And I hope he's not playing semantics with us, you know, and being deceptive in his words. We, we want the abolishment of all private prisons. And he has said in the past that private pr prisons are morally wrong. So let's see if we can get some of his comments. Pull up this YouTube video. See if we more context. What we are trying to do is move toward community policing where police are part of the community, not seen as oppressors. Yeah! We want police departments that look like the communities they are serving. We want to take a hard look at the use of force. We want to deal with minimum sentencing. Too many lives have been destroyed for nonviolent issues. People have been sent to jail, have police records. We have got to change that. Our job is to keep people out of jail, not in jail. And I'll tell you something else. When Congress reconvenes in September, I will be offering legislation, introducing legislation, which takes corporations out of profiteering from running jails. And what we also need to do is to understand that when people are in jail, we need a rational path for them to return to civil society. All right, we're going to stop it. We're going to stop it there. I've linked to the full video. The video is like an hour and 22 minutes long. So if you want to dissect 
and um, what he had to say. And again, this is one of the things we've been calling for on New Abolitionist Radio for the past four years is the abolishment of all private prisons to get the corporations out of uh, profiting off of people's enslavement. Because that's what's driving what they call in mass incarceration. That's just an updated term to describe a very old and very evil problem called slavery. So that is um, obviously a big statement coming from a presidential campaign. I can't recall uh, any presidential candidate ever saying that they would abolish private prisons and get corporations out of the business of profiting off of jails, off the housing of human bodies, the human trafficking aspect of it. And so, you know, would Hillary Clinton say that again? This goes back to yesterday or the other day with the comments Hillary Clinton made about the Black Lives Matter people not having, you know, any kind of platform or legislation or or anything. What are you really asking for? You know, and I did my program examining their um, list of demands on their website and it was sorely lacking and whatnot. But, you know. Taking the focus off of those young people, um, Hillary Clinton, again, has two private prison lobbyists working for her campaign. So you think that she would back that bill? Let's ask her that question. That's what somebody should be asking her a question. Let's see if the media, the mainstream corporate media, ask that question of Hillary Clinton's campaign. Let's hit her up on Twitter. Matter of fact, I will do it right after the program. I'm going to tweet at the Hillary Rodman Clinton campaign and ask them if they support, if Hillary Clinton would support Bernie Sanders' legislation to ban private prisons. And see what she says. Obviously, she, you know, these private prison lobbyists aren't working for her campaign for nothing. So let's put her on the spot. Let's see, see what she has to say. But that is a big, that is a big statement. I can't recall anyone talking about abolishing private prisons, any p- political candidate, I should say, because most of them have ties to the p- prison industry, probably got stocks in it, like Alberto Gonzalez, the former attorney, U.S. Attorney General out of Texas, like Dick Cheney, like so many others. So that that's great news that's big news and we got to hold him accountable yeah people have asked the question well why are you waiting to now to introduce this legislation you've been in the senate a very long time you was a member of congress before you became a senator why are you just now introducing that legislation look we can get bogged down in asking those questions but i don't want to get bogged down in asking those questions i want to use the momentum to actually abolish private prisons because we can ask everybody that question but is it a constructive question when he's introducing the legislation now no let's get behind the legislation and let's push this legislation to the broader public let's get these other presidential candidates and other people running for office like your local representatives shoot them an email about Bernie Sanders' proposed legislation to ban private prisons and get a statement on from them. 
then we can start putting them on blast and saying that they support human trafficking. So, yeah, that's a good deal. Let's go to the um, phone lines, area code 803. You're on Black Talk Radio News. Go ahead with your question or comment. Hey, what's going on, brother Max? I'm smiling today, man. You, you know, you hit the nail on the head, and and I've got even more to add to that. Well, know? go right ahead. As, Ed. as you just said, uh, it's weird echo, but as you just said it uh, a moment ago, that you don't want to, you don't know how he came to this conclusion. Well, I do know how he came to this conclusion. It's direct result of our efforts and our communications with the Black Lives Matter movement, who put together this proposal and presented it to him and it's one of the reasons that he did it and on their list of proposals was banned prisons for profit that's true now he's done that you know and this is a direct uh result of our own efforts right here in uh black talk uh radio and with new abolitionist radio so you know pat yourself on your back on the back now we're going to take it even further because today this evening at 10 30 i'm going to have a conversation with the uh, Democratic organizer on behalf of Bernie Sanders down here in South Carolina and uh, seeing if we can meet up with him on Saturday in Sumter for a few moments and talk. Because rather than getting it secondhand information, let's talk directly with the people who have been studying this for many, many years. If anybody knows about private prisons and prison for profit, it would be us, right? Yeah. So we got advance, four years worth. Done, huh? We got four years worth of research. At, at least. And, and that's just what we've done with the new abolitionist radio. Uh, right, we've that's true. We've both been involved in this for a, a decade or more, you know. But uh, in, in advance, I've already done my Vermont is Ferguson report. So I know more about Vermont and their prisons and their private prisons than Bernie Sanders does right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He you needs know, to hire an abolitionist, a bona fide abolitionist. If he's serious about making abolitionism a part of his platform, then he needs to get a bona fide abolitionist, hire one for his campaign. That's what he needs to do. That's right. He, I, I, uh, I, I, I would go I don't ahead want to be and hire for nobody's campaign, but I want to be a consultant on this, uh, just like Frederick Douglass was a consultant. Well, that's what I mean, Lincoln. Max. That's what I yeah, mean. I want to be a consultant on this. You need to listen to. the state constitution which allows slavery in three different freaking ways it's in their constitution right now mm-hmm. and uh i've also did our ferguson is a Amer- uh, vermont is is a ferguson report as i said for every one white person in jail in vermont right now there are nearly 13 black people in a state that only has 660,000 people in it Mm-mm-mm. only has that many there's only a 1.2 percent black population but there's 13 of them in for every one white person so if bernie's going to talk about this he's going to have to do something about his own state first well he, well yeah he's a u.s politician he's not in the vermont state house but certainly he has influence in the state and certainly within the democratic party in vermont yeah, i would imagine exactly. he's very powerful so yes he state. is in a position to push uh abolitionist plank in anybody's platform right right well I, i'm looking forward to this change i think this is a momentous moment in history just the idea of him saying it 
is something very Well, important. we got to get behind it, though. We got to mobilize the grassroots troops now to support this, to, to gain the support for the legislation. And that means we're going to have to tailor our arguments hone and hone our arguments depending upon who we're speaking to. If you're a conservative in our group and you're an abolitionist, because remember, we got people of all stripes in our abolitionist movement. So we need you to come up with an argument to tailor it for conservatives or why they should support the abolishment of private prisons. If you're a liberal, you come up with the liberal argument that you're going to present to your liberal audience. So if you're independent, you know, you come up with the common sense argument. You know what I'm saying, Max? We got to get skillful in our use of language and, and because we know that uh, deception is practiced through language. So, you know, we got to be just as manipulative and just as conniving. And I know those words have negative connotations, but that's what politics is about. It's about changing hearts and minds. And the way that you change a heart and mind is to first know the heart and mind of your target. Sounds like a plan to me. Uh, I'm, I'm on it, Scotty. We're on it. Uh, this tomorrow I'll be meet, meeting with the Black Lives Matter people here in Columbia, South Carolina. They're having a planning stage, so I'm going to be a part of that. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about what we need to converse with. Hopefully I can make some kind of inway there, in, inroads there. And, and, Saturday, and see, if I'm lucky, I'll be able to talk with them personally. See if you can get some clarification on what he mean by jails. Is it jails or, or are he talking about prisons oh. in general, jails and prisons? He might be a little confused with the issue because in Vermont, the prisons and jails are the same thing. Okay. Like remember how we did that, and I believe it was Illinois where they had a prison and jail system that was one thing? Yeah. It's the same thing in Vermont. Okay. Well, we're not just talking about jails. We're talking about prisons. We want to take down Correction Corporation of America, and we want to take down uh, the GEO Group and MTC. I mean, they're just a long list of, of private prison enslavers we need to take down. And that's the difference between what he's talking about and what we're talking about at this moment is because he's talking about abolishing uh, these industries that do it for profit, and we're talking about slavery. <laughs> and and that's the key change for most uh, people who are, are listening. You need to change your perspective from mass incarceration to slavery, and that's what I'm hoping to do with him because not only can we end these prisons for profit and expand it, as you just said, but also we can hold some people accountable for what they're doing and maybe get some of these billions, if not trillions of dollars that they've illegally gone. Yeah, sue them. Sue them under RICO charges. See, that again goes back, goes back to my conversation with Mr. Paul Whaley about we need a legal defense fund to represent cases like Mr. Trayvon Will, Wilburn, Tremaine Wilburn, who, who was claiming he stood his ground and practiced self-defense against this cop who has a questionable background. And so, but we need those attorneys that, again, that are going to put RICO charges on these individuals like a, a George Zoli or, or a Thurgood Marshall Jr., okay, that sits on the board of the Correction Corporation of America because punitive, da- they would have to pay punitive damages if we can get them in a civil court on, on RICO charges. So we need the brightest, we need the, the brightest legal minds out there. There are a lot of avenues we could be attacking this thing and we're not attacking it. We're not attacking it. We're not even using the tools that are available at our disposal like RICO laws.
They're right there for us to use. And if we could criminalize these people, these enslavers, because they are people who are operating under corporations that have grown so large that they have standing armies, <laughs> like literally have standing armies. If we can hold them accountable, the money that they have gotten from us just in the past 45 years, the blood, the death, the destruction, all of that has to be uh has to be paid for. Literally, mm -hmm. you have to make some kind of repayment of that. And they've got this sitting in banks all over the world, and it's because of the oppression Let's that get they that money upon us that they have this wealth. Let's go after that wealth. Again, that, right. that, that organization that's against the legalization of cannabis out there in Washington have already, even though we came up with the ideal, they probably got the ideal from us. We came up with that ideal after the Ferguson report came out, nobody else was talking about using RICO laws to go after people, in, in, you know, in, in court or whatnot. Because we were thinking, OK, this, why, uh, why isn't the Justice Department charging these people in Ferguson under RICO laws? You know, but then I bet you them, them people probably heard that on new abolitionist radio or other programs we was talking about and they was like hmm let's see how we can use this to take down a legal cannabis business and they use rico laws to shut down a legal cannabis business because the cannabis business didn't want to fight it in court and and i think just paid what fifty thousand dollars and shut their doors to that organization Damn it, let's set up an organization and we can go and get our reparations that way through RICO charges and, and filing yeah, these right. charges on these people and getting that money and redistributing it to the victims. Sound like a plan, yeah, don't it? Another issue, too, is that he, now by saying this, he's thrown down the gauntlet. It's an accusation to all of the candidates, particularly the Republican candidates, particularly Hillary Clinton. Investments in the private prison industry and are being some of them are being financed by the private prison industry and including his democratic competitor hillary clinton who is so deeply tied into the prison industry from day one that right now her top bundlers or fundraisers are prison uh, private prison lobbyists so that gauntlet is thrown down now that's an accusation to them that they're immoral they're doing illegal activities, that this is a corrupt relationship they have, and they have the answer to that now. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Certainly, these are, if I had Hillary Clinton coming on Meet the Press, and I'm just using this as an example, y'all, so that y'all can see how mainstream corporate media is orchestrated. It's, it's like wag the dog. Now, you should see, if there's, if you see Hillary Clinton giving an interview, the first question that should come out of that person, that reporter or news anchor's mouth is about Bernie Sanders proposed legislation to abolish private prisons, because that's a trillion dollar industry right there. Do you know how many people are employed by private prisons and, and how much money is being made off of human trafficking? So that's pretty significant. That's the first question that should be put to Hillary Clinton. I bet you I bet you won't nobody ask it. Al Sharpton tonight, he should be having playing this clip on his show because we're talking about an issue that impacts black people, right? The most. It impacts everybody, but black people the most. 
Al Sharpton should have a segment on his show tonight playing that Bernie Sanders clip saying that he will introduce legislation to abolish private prisons and then he should put that out there and then that question should be put to Hillary Clinton, to Martin O'Malley, to whoever else has thrown their hat into the ring. You know, it should be put to all these presidential candidates. Now watch and see if mainstream media even highlights this. Because where, where is this reported on? This is even reported by a mainstream site. This is what democracy. What? Where is? Where did you send me this website? Daily Cause is where I. Daily Cause, alternative media. Somebody and they linked to a YouTube video that somebody in the crowd posted of him making. Yeah, they're gonna try to downplay this as nothing. Just you know, blah, it's no big deal. But it is huge, Scott. It's huge. And those yeah, were mainly I, white people out there. Cheering. That's another question. You got to ask this question. Why is it a white old Jewish guy from Vermont was the first one to come out and talk about abolishing private prisons when we haven't heard it from Cornell West and we haven't heard it from Tavis Smiley and we haven't heard it from all Al Sharpton and we haven't heard it from nobody in the black community on one of these leadership levels where they have spoken of this. I, I just I'm wondering why it had to be that guy in front of them it had to be that guy because i believe that guy was pushed into it which which you talked about you know he was put on the spot everybody yeah it could have been cornell west why hasn't cornell west ever spoken on this i I really those are good questions those are good questions those are great questions to him personally i've reached out to cornell west and asked him about this back when he started calling tim wise an abolitionist Tim Wise ain't no abolitionist. How the hell is Tim Wise an abolitionist? He don't talk about modern day slavery and human trafficking. Cornel West actually the other day was promoting a lie about Lincoln. And I got respect for Cornel West. The man, the brother has a great mind and whatnot. And he has been out there in the streets. But, you know, we he's he's intelligent. But he's not informed, obviously, on modern day slavery and human trafficking. Or, or you got to ask that question, brother. Why you ain't talking in plain language like we do on New Abolitionist Radio? Because right, he, right, he was promoting he that myth of Lincoln. He was promoting the myth of Lincoln. You asked on in our group, Move to Abolish 21st Century. You posted the clip of Democracy Now! Yep. of him. And you said, what do you guys think of what he said? And what did I say, Max? I said that this guy he wasn't is, going far enough with it. He was promoting this myth that okay. Lincoln freed the slaves, and that's a damn lie. He's just reinforcing right. that lie. Yeah, I, I was very curious about that. So when I, I researched and see what he thought about these issues, it dawned on me that just as you said, he's not very familiar with modern day slavery. He doesn't even see it. It doesn't come up on his radar, so to speak. He sees it as something else. Mass incarceration. Jim Crow. The Jim Crow, he said, like, you know, the president doesn't address Jim Crow. What the fuck is Jim Crow? <laughs> you know, this is not, excuse my language, but this isn't Jim Crow. This is slavery going on. So, yeah, I, I, I'm hoping maybe now he'll address it. And uh, since he's a darling of the Black Lives Movement, uh, Matter Movement, that he will address it and even further that conversation. Because that's what we need more than anything else now is to further this conversation about abolition. Because there is another option. Forget the fallacy of either or. Uh, reform or no reform, there's a third option, and it's called abolition. Mm-hmm. 
Most definitely. Well, Max, did you have any final thoughts? I'm going to get ready to wrap up the program. I got two more stories that I'm just briefly tell them about. But uh, tell them about how they can keep up with you and uh, your efforts in the abolitionist movement. Well, everything that I do, you can find out on uh, MaximumImpactPoetry.com. Uh, that's my wife and I's website, MaximumImpactPoetry.com. And make sure you visit uh, BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, where you can just click on New Abolitionist Radio and hear four years of archives of us discussing this thing. Um, what I would like to shout out at the end is uh, Scotty Reed, first of all. Congratulations to you as an abolitionist. This is a victory, man, and congratulations to you. This direct result of your efforts. So uh, don't ever think that it doesn't make a difference. It always makes a difference, and this shows it right here. And uh, secondly, uh, stay free and stay alive, people. I'm out. All right. Peace to you, brother. Peace. All right. That was our uh, Q&AQ is cleared. Our abolitionist brother, Max Parthis. Look, I'm over time right now. Um, let me just hit a couple of these stories. Please check out this NYT article, New York Times article that documents crimes against patients in New Orleans during Katrina. Guards assisted hospital staff in killing patient patients before abandoning the hospital. Those are my words. Those those are not the words of New York Times. I, I actually had shared the New York Times article on Facebook. So it is on Black Talk Radio Network. But I changed, I changed the headline because this is the headline, the deadly choices at Memorial, where they were saying that hospital staff was faced with deadly choices. That's incorrect. And that's practicing deception in language. This is the story. During Katrina, as they were evacuating this hospital, they weren't able to evacuate all the patients. So they euthanized these patients and the guards even assisted by uh, forcing family members who were there to collect their family members to try to save their family members the guards forced them out of the hospital while the staff went around euthanizing these people like like they were some sort of kittens or dogs or something and, and because they could not save them they're saying rather than leave these people to fend for themselves alive in the hospital, they killed them. They euthanized them. That's murder. That's not no hard choice. That's not no, you know, don't blur the lines. This is murder. This is murder. This is murder. How many times I need to say it, I will say it. This is murder. This wasn't no deadly choice. And the article is actually about, man, how long is this article? 18 pages, 18 pages. And this is from uh, uh, Sherry Fink, a medical doctor who is a staff reporter at ProPublica, the independent nonprofit investigative organization. All right. So I'm going to have to dig into this. Perhaps we can talk about it tomorrow. Perhaps next week we need to do an entire program on this story because this is murder. These people and the statue of limitation does not run out on murder. You don't get to just euthanize these people and, and say, oh, you know, well, it was Katrina. You know, the, the circumstances. And, no, murder is murder. The laws were not suspended during Katrina. This is murder. Putting them people to death. And then even the ones who had their family members, please read that article. But I had to change the headline when I was on Facebook from uh somebody else shared it 
So I got the actual link and then I posted it to Facebook myself, which gives you an opportunity to change the headline because that headline that they had, they were using was not accurate. It was not. So this is my headline. During Katrina, hospital staff assisted by guards put patients to death. That's the accurate headline. There's no convoluted, you know, no convolution there. I'm telling you the truth. This is what happened. They can use words like euthanize. They could say a hard choice, mercy killings. No, this was murder. Murder. And one of the pictures, I know at least one of the victims is black. Probably the majority of the victims are black. Just knowing, you know, the system the way that I do. But regardless of whether they're black or not. They were Hispanic, Asian, whatever. It don't matter. This is murder. This is murder. Check that story out. It's one that needs to be told. Black agenda political analyst Glenn Ford delivered his critique on the Black Lives Matter Boston meeting with Clinton. He chided the group for not having a real agenda and weak set of public demands. As I stated on New Abolitionist Radio last night, and as I stated on my own uh, analysis, could they have done better? Yes, they could done do a whole lot better. These are young people. I, we don't know much about them or their, how long they've been involved in this. So they're perhaps being educated on these issues themselves on the job. So, while certainly every no one is above criticism, we want that criticism to be constructive so that they will be receptive to adjusting their behavior so that they are more effective in what they are trying to do. So, Glenn Ford has his analysis out there. I thought it was interesting. He made some valid points. But I just do not, and I'm not saying this about Glenn Ford, but... I'm willing to cut these Black Lives Matter people a little slack because of their age, okay? But we do need to be reaching out to them and educating them on these, and we hope that they will be open to that. Like Max said, he will be meeting with some uh, Black Lives Matter activists. And again, it's not just about Black Lives Matter activists. This is a movement, and it's not just about one organization or one group. All right, but that's the name that the mainstream media has chosen to label an entire movement. So we'll roll with it. We'll roll with it. But BLM, um, they do need to tighten up their game. But I thought what they did with Clinton, some of the questions that were asked, and we'll see some more video later that hasn't been released. I, I thought they were able to get her to talk enough that we can glean some usable uh, intelligence from her. But again, they do need to tighten up their game. Uh, but I still give them the thumbs up for effort. All right. Black Baltimore prosecutor Marilyn Mosley made headlines again yesterday when she charged a Baltimore cop with attempted murder in the shooting of an unarmed suspect. Yeah, this guy was robbing this um, grocery store. And so he got shot by two cops uh, in the alleyway and he fell back on his back in the building. So, he, you know, his feet's hanging out the doorway. The rest of his body's inside the doorway. He's been shot twice. Then the third cop comes upon him and he asked the third cop, man, what did y'all shoot me with a beanbag? And this cop says, 
No, we shot you. It's a 40 caliber. Um, what he called him some kind of derogatory name and he cursed at him something. I can't remember what he said. Totally inappropriate. And then he shot the dude. He shot the dude. You piece of S-H-I-T is what he said. Call him a piece of spit. All right. Yeah. No, a 40 caliber, you piece of. And then shot the dude standing over him. Point blank range shot him. This guy survived. It happened in December of 2014. And now Marilyn Mosley has levied uh, first degree attempted murder charges on this guy based on witness uh, testimony and whatnot. So that's a story I have linked to. I wrote, you know, briefly about it. You can check it out. All right. Thank you all for tuning in to Black Talk Radio News today. Again, Tando Radio Show is off this evening. Uh, but make sure that you join us again for some more live streaming tomorrow at 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time with another broadcast of this program, Black Talk Radio News. Stay tuned for some uh, pre-recorded programming on the network. Recognize the fact that we do live behind enemy lines, some of us especially more so than others. It is a battle zone out there. Uh, people are being killed every day. There are tons of casualties. The casualty report runs in the hundreds. Uh, I think almost 700 people thus far have been killed in 2015 by police officers. All right. So if you realize that it is a battlefield out there, hopefully you'll develop some battlefield skills, some battlefield awareness also known as situational awareness, and that you will adapt your behavior so that you can increase the likelihood you will survive these battlefield encounters. So with that said, peace and blessings to all. Be safe out there. We'll be back tomorrow evening. Hit me! Oh, my God.